Hey everyone, my name is Pastor Dina and thank you so much for joining us for Northeast Christian Church Online Services. Please be sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms to keep up to date with all that's going on here in our church. Also, if you would like to rewatch today's sermon, you can look us up on Spotify, YouTube, or Apple Podcast. Well, thank you and enjoy the rest of service. I am, uh, first of all, some of you are wondering, what is this? This isn't bulletproof glass to protect Boaz's ankles. Um, we want you to know that with the upcoming banquet that we're kind of saying, how do we do this in a way that, that um, keeps people who are immune compromised or are, are making choices that they're saying, I don't want to catch COVID, I don't want to get the vaccine. We're asking every one of you that volunteers and signs up for a dish that you prepare it uh, very in a sanitary way that you know you just you wear a mask maybe whatever but what we're gonna do is is when we serve the food we're gonna have basically buffet style behind the shield so that nobody's sneezing on it and you're gonna just basically be able to point to the dishes the the fufu the foons the sudza the the chicken wings you're gonna be able to point to it and say give me a little number one give me a little number two and we'll have it all behind here, nice and safe and sanitary, buffet style, but without everybody uh, leaving behind a little bit of themselves on the food in the process. And so just want you to know that we are taking all the steps. I miss connecting with so many of you. And I haven't gotten the privilege of getting to meet so many of you that are here and that are new. And I think Alex, is that you right there? Yeah. I, good to see you. Is it Alex? Josh? Yeah, I had the right letter. No, <laughs> Josh. I rem I I just remember that you know with COVID, it's just so many different people are gone and then they come back. But it's so good to see you, Josh. God bless you, man. And uh, it it'd be good to see so many of you at this event and just be able to connect and have a conversation. We're looking forward to making that happen in so many different ways. So this is Missions Month, and we're taking that time to focus. We, we always say that we don't have connections. We have friends. Connections you use, friends you love. This one this morning I love very, very, very dearly. My wife and I had the privilege of meeting Chelsea Stradoff when she was about seven, eight, nine as a kid, seeing her run around the church. And then uh, she came back into our lives when I was a youth pastor. And... God has opened up the door for her to begin a ministry called the Lioness and the Lamb. Many of you know our relationship with Teen Challenge is very strong. And uh, if ever there is a season where we need options for people who are trying to overcome addictions with, uh, through the power of Jesus Christ, now is that time. But what you'll come to find is, is that there are hardly any that are available for moms, women who are pregnant or have children already. And so we, we, we are honored and privileged to have her here today to share with you what God is doing. And I'm telling you, I, I've, I've known a lot of different programs and centers and directors that are out there. When I tell you that this young woman of God, who I absolutely adore, my wife adore, is going to change the way that people's lives are restored, not separating you from your child and your addiction, but sep separating you and bringing through bringing you together. And it's just such a powerful ministry. I feel like I'll steal all her thunder, but I, I give to you today our friend, our loved dear friend, Chelsea Stradoff. She's brought 
a young woman with her today, Maria from the program, and you'll get to meet them in the back, but I'm just gonna ask her to come and share with us today what God's doing through the Lioness and the Lamb in the Walter Hoving home. Good morning, church. First, I just want to say thank you for having me this morning. It's really an honor and a privilege to be in the house of the Lord, and specifically the house of the Lord that's being stewarded by the Conways, who have just been pillars in my walk with the Lord. Um, like Pastor Paul said, I met him 14 years old. My father had just passed away of a heart attack and we had just relocated across the country back home where we had left about three years prior. And it was a very broken season for me and the Lord really used that relationship for a lot of repair and kindness. And I had the privilege of babysitting um, Ethan and um, just, he was super little, but um, being there in the beginning days of the Conway family and um, they just poured limitlessly into us as youth and I'm eternally grateful for that impact. How many know that's a really formative time of your life? So super important to have great people in your kids' lives in their teen years. Um, but yeah, super grateful to be here and to be speaking this morning on a beat to my heart, a passion of my life. Um, a small background on me, I was raised by two Teen Challenge graduates who graduated the program after over a decade of vicious heroin addictions, um, criminal activity, prostitution, uh, lifestyle of death, and criminal activity really is the best word. Um, but both of them were radically set free through Jesus Christ, and um, amen. Um, and uh, they met at David Wilkerson's Bible College in Lindale, Texas, and began a lifetime of giving their lives back to Jesus, um, including, but not limited to, founding a women's program and operating a men's center in Rhode Island and what you know now as Teen Challenge New England and New Jersey. Um, my parents were there in the, the beginning days of that and my mom founded the women's center. And so that was where I was brought up. That was most of my childhood was spent at outreaches and um, church services like this, presenting the ministry and hearing the men and the women sing and share their testimonies of what God had done. I had from a very young age exposure to what addiction does to a life and how it flips everything on its head. And so um, most children do not know about that until they're older, unless they're actually living it. And I actually had a super healthy household, um, but where the ministry was exposing me to a lot of dysfunction in people's lives as a product of addiction. And so something that I saw that I don't think my parents ever really even considered was because I spent so much time at the center, my group of friends was made up of a lot of kids of the home. Uh, the weekends were spent while they were having visits and things of that nature, and so I began at a very young age to be exposed to the need for the children in addiction, uh, the ones that didn't have a say. Um, you may know them. You may be one. Um, and my heart grieved from a very young age that there wasn't really anything for them uh, except the foster care system, which 
don't get me wrong, I'm a huge proprietor of foster care, but at the same time, it's uh, psychologically, there's a lot of damage, you know, from not having your mom or dad or from being placed here to there or the kind of disruption that can cause for a child. And so um, when I went to college, my goal was to um, hopefully do something with inner city children, but I ended up working for Teen Challenge for the better part of my 20s and only getting a deeper exposure to that need. Uh, we would often get calls from women who were pregnant and did not want to get help for themselves, but wanted help now for this child that was inside of them. So uh, I did not have many referrals or anywhere to send them, and that was a crisis for us. Also, we would get calls or literally watch women get dropped off at the center and their children be leaving the parking lot, the only thing they really cared about, and then walk through with them for the next 30, 60, 90 days to a, a year the reality of getting sober but not even knowing their kid. Um, seeing them twice a month on visitation or uh, for family weekends or things of that nature. And so certainly that burden just continued to grow. And um, in 2017, I resigned my position at Teen Challenge and I began a training journey at women and children's centers across the nation, uh, living there part-time and just kind of seeing how it was operative in other places that were further away and with the desire to begin it in the Northeast because there was very limited referrals for us. And in 2019, we opened the doors of Hoving Home Lioness and the Lamb, which is a women and children's home that serves um, women who are pregnant or have children and are in recovery. We also serve women that have been trafficked, dual diagnosis, that have mental health disorders, um, also women that have been through trauma because of domestic violence, homelessness, um, but predominantly most of our center is composed of women that have battled either alcoholism or drug addiction of some sort. Um, and so, um, a little bit about Lioness and the Lamb. Um, Lioness and the Lamb is gold to be a safe and loving environment where women can become healthy and learn how to be a mom. Many moms that we serve never had moms, or if they had moms, sometimes they were dysfunctional or there was dysfunction in the home that then led to their dysfunction as a mother themselves. Um, it, the goal, or sort of our tagline, is restoration without separation. They can be together while they receive what God has for them in terms of restoring their family. Um, the need. So sometimes people don't realize what a big need this actually is. And so um, there are over 400 centers globally for Teen Challenge. 203 are in the United States. 63 are for women, and there's only 16 for women with children. And only three of those are on the East Coast. Um, every 15 minutes, a baby is born with neonatal abstinence syndrome. For those that are not familiar, that's the consequence of a mother using while she's pregnant. And if you have ever seen a baby detox, I apologize because it's horrible. And the long-lasting effects of that go into childhood with behavioral issues and um, learning disabilities and nervous system problems. And so. Um, it's certainly a big concern. Um, more than 80% of those babies, those NAS babies as they call them, are, are birthed on Medicaid. So there's a major impact on our country in terms of this issue. Um, and we're affected even if we don't realize we're affected or we don't see how we're affected. Um, 
one in eight children reside with a substance abusing parent. Um, that was really wild for me because my sister operates a classroom that has about, sister-in-law, sorry, about 23, 24 children. And so for me, it was just really crazy to think about like three kids in her class right now are living with a substance abusing parent. Like that's how common it is. Um, and then one that really hit me when we were first starting was the reality that in one year, Hoving Home had 411 women walk through the doors. Hoving Home has existed for over 50 years. It was the first women's teen challenge. David Wilkerson was part of the acquisition of the property and John Benton was the founder. If you wanna learn more about it, we have a free book back there, One Lady at a Time, that you can read um, at our table. But that being said, that we have five centers and four of them are just for women. And in 411 women that walked through the year before Lioness and the Lamb was opened, that represented 434 children. And let me just remind you, they can't bring their kids in those women's programs, so where are those 434 children? And that's bigger than even the women. And so when I read that statistic, it was actually in a newsletter for Hoving Home when I was training. I thought to myself, this is a massive, massive cry of the father's heart. And somebody has to do something. And so we did, uh, the Lord did, and he opened a door. So the program, let me tell you a little bit about what Lioness and the Lamb does. We offer spiritual care. So just like Teen Challenge, biblical curriculum, prayer, pastoral counseling, church attendance, they're in church every week, a stable home. That's something that is so important and that many of them have never experienced before. Just eating around the table every night at the same time. It's, it's something that many of them have never even had in their life. We got a family of four recently and, well, five, four children. And when they first came, I remember telling someone I was so overstimulated for the first time, even though we've had a lot of children with a lot of behavioral issues. They were so heavy in this family, and this family, it made perfect sense. The father had taken his own life, um, and the, the five-year-old found him. And so the chaos that was ensuing after mom began a full-blown addiction post that trauma uh, was pretty bad. And so when they arrived on their first week and we were eating dinner, literally there was a child that put their foot in the corn because they stood on the table, like climbing around. And I was like, sometimes it feels like it's like feral cats. Like it's just like they've, they've never like, and I love them with my whole heart, but it's like, how do, how do you, where do you even begin with a child whose feet are in the food on the table because they don't even know how to sit? at a table, or what that even means, because they've never sat at a table for a meal. And so sometimes that sounds like the littlest thing we offer, but a stable home to me is one of the most important parts, and the stability is Jesus Christ. He doesn't change. And so we also offer aspects like animal care. We have chickens. I am no farmer, and we have a big garden, and um, you would be amazed at what that does for the kids. They bond with them, they name them, they play with them. I hear our chickens are not normal chickens, but we have silkies that are fluffy and the kids just love them. And um, 
it's really amazing to see how the Lord uses creation to help rebuild our hearts, you know, because he is knit into that. And they learn how to be responsible. It's their chore <laughs> to, and they don't know what chores are. They've never had to do anything. So they're learning to be responsible and collect the eggs and take care of them and um, harvest their garden and you know there's nutrients in the soil to help with depression and anxiety and all these you know holistic ways for them to get help um, we do a Christian child care on site so there was a season we were sending the kids we were paying an exorbitant amount of money to send the kids to a licensed child care off-site and there came a time where something had happened and they came home and I thought to myself Jesus gave us the stewardship of these little ones, and they're the future, this needs to be a bigger priority. And so we brought it in-house, and we set up a childcare in-house, and the kids are learning Christian curriculum every day. They're learning Bible verses for every month and um, singing worship songs every day, and it's really awesome to see them love the Lord and sing throughout the house these songs in their heart. When they first come in, they have some precious words to share with us that they've learned on their journey. Um, and they are like little copycats, so you'll hear them all through the house saying these, you know, filthy things. And so um, it's awesome as God begins to transform the heart of a mother that you see the heart of a child change. Um, kids are really intuitive. When you're not okay as mom, they're not okay. And so mother and child restoration, they have what's called mommy and me time that's mandated. <laughs> Believe it or not, for some moms, it's hard to just spend one-on-one -on -one time with your kid and not have a choice. Uh, they'd much rather socialize <laughs> or be with other girls in the program or get fed into by the staff. And there's time for that, but there is also specific time that's just one-to-one -one with their kids. And so they learn how to be a mom hands-on, not by reading a book, but just by doing it. Um, academics, so they get their personal studies, group studies, that's done through Teen Challenge curriculum. Financial and resume classes, there's a part one and a part two of our program. The first part, we do nine months, that's um, program life, and then three months is transition. First 30 days is crisis care. And then there's a post program for a year where they're able to get on their feet. You know, as you know, for families, it takes time to learn and, and to raise the funds that are needed within their household to sustain and get a car and get a license and get their GED if they don't have it and get a certificate program and something that as a single mother they can sustain themselves. Um, and then legal and medical, there's a lot of court needs that they come in with. CPS is involved in a lot of situations, and so we're having to report on the kids or offer uh, resources to them. Um, Child Protective Services, also social services, which usually intervene in terms of speech pathology or behavioral therapy or counseling for the kids. They are changed in the deepest way because of the trauma they've experienced, and so these resources are great aid to them in getting healing. And then their health insurance, most of these kids have never been to the dentist um, and have been eating candy because that's what will get your child to leave you alone um, and watching TV. And so they go through this like fiending phase. We say sometimes the kids detoxing off of sugar and television is harder than a mom detoxing off of heroin. Um, and it's the truth, um, as sad as that is. And so, um, and then like I said, we have our transitional and re-entry tracks that are really helpful for them. So how can you be a part of this, or what does your involvement in this look like? Well, first of all, prayer. And I said in the first service, I hope that never comes across as like a Christianese kind of thing to say, because truly in my heart, I know it's the most important, and it's what changes the face of eternity. You know, your prayers for these kids and these mothers 
and this opportunity for them is a deal breaker. It's, it takes the enemy's hand off of them and puts them, positions them before the Father in a way that they can't even do for themselves sometimes. Um, ministry opportunities, you know, if you come see us at the table, there's a lot of opportunity for ministry. Um, we have on here both volunteering and also just if there's a monthly need. And so if there's anything you want to know about or if there's a heart that you have to partner in some way, we are here. Let us know. Um, and then I'm just going to share a quick word, hopefully a little bit more organized than this morning. I had a, um, been given something to preach on and then just really struggled with it yesterday into last night, all the way up until two in the morning, just really felt like the Lord was changing the direction. So, um, so it's a little better this time around. Thankfully, you guys missed the practice round. Um, but, um, <laughs> but we're going to talk about three pursuits today and uh, pursuit to a dream, pursuit to the promise of God. Um, for me in my life, it looked like this promise. Um, I've never, I was talking with Pastor Paul a little bit in between services, and it's interesting because I remember when I first felt the Lord tugging on my heart to serve in Teen Challenge, I was very intimidated because I had never been an addict, and something that was so powerful to the women in the center was my mother's, you know, relatability because of her addiction and what she'd been through, and I guess on the streets you'd say, like, street cred, like, you know, she, she had been there, and so, like, there was a instant sort of, um, rapport that she had with them, and she didn't even have to work for it. It was just like, they heard her story, and it was like, oh, they believed anything she said. And for me, like, I did not have that luxury, because that wasn't my background. Not that I think being an addict is a luxury, but I didn't have um, the experience that felt relevant to them. And so, um, and sometimes also it can feel like when you're not somebody that's been in those shoes, you don't understand, you almost think you're better than me. So, and I never did, but I'm just saying, like, that can be a perception struggle sometimes. And so, anyway, um, I remember battling with that. And I remember Don Wilkerson, who's the co-founder of Teen Challenge and the brother of David Wilkerson, saying one time in one of his books that he was challenged with that. And that it was clear to him, that the Lord had made clear to him that you do not have to be sick to understand the antidote for an illness. And you don't have to have cancer to know the cure for cancer, and there's not a cure for cancer, but you know what I mean, like in theory. You don't have to have diabetes to know you're supposed to take insulin. That's how it fixes itself. So um, in addiction, I don't have to have been a drug addict to know that Jesus is the answer. And I saw it time and time and time again. And so it was interesting going from that battle and then making it almost a decade working in Teen Challenge with not having that background and still finding ministry as an opportunity and success. Going into the next field where God was calling me into recovery ministry for women with children when I'm not a mother. <laughs> And I knew this was going to be another battle I was coming up against because how could I help them understand how to be a mom to their kids when I've never mothered a child? And it became very clear to me that the Lord was going to use my mother and how she mothered me as a gateway into helping them understand the proper way, not that there is really any right way to raise your kids, right? Like, you can read a hundred books and they all say something different. So, and they're all experts. But um, really, it's experiential. It's hands-on. It's what works for the child. We say all the time in, in Lioness and the Lamb that raising a child is its own ministry. Every kid is its own ministry. Like, none, none are the same. And God did that intentionally. So, um, 
First thing I want to talk about is the wrong pursuit. <laughs> the wrong pursuit. Um, I was talking this morning about Saul and David, and um, I was looking back on how in the beginning, in 1 Samuel 8, Israel demands a king. So let's go there for one second. So the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel and said to him, Behold, you're old and your sons don't walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But this displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Sometimes we think we know best. And sometimes when we have a dream or a passion or something we really want, we can get ahead of the Lord. We can try to make things happen before it's the right timing or because we think it looks like what he spoke to our heart. We think it, it's, it's reminiscent of what we felt he said. So um, this is essentially what's happening here. You know, it's not like for years the Israelites hadn't seen that they didn't really like being told what to do by a man. And so whether it be a judge or a king or whatever, they didn't like listening to anyone. They liked doing their own thing. And over and over again, God was showing that he's the only one that could save them and protect them and rescue them every time they were too much for themselves or getting themselves in trouble. And so the reality is that sometimes here we are all this time later and the Israelites are still confused. They still think that they need a man to tell them what to do when God wants to be the king of their heart. And sometimes we can be pursuit, in pursuit of a dream or a passion or something that means so much to us, and we feel God has given this to us, but we pursue that more than we pursue him. Or we want that more than we want him. Or we seek that or give more time to that than we do him. And that's the wrong pursuit, even though it's a right dream, even though our heart is for it. And Israel wanted things to be different. The Israelites wanted life to look different than it did look. And they thought, you know what? It's better for all these other people that keep overtaking us because they have a king. But what they didn't realize is they had a king. They just weren't heeding that king. And they weren't letting that king have the true throne of their heart. And that's the first step to pursuing any promise that God gives us in our hearts. Any, any good thing that comes from the Father begins by realizing that he gave it, and it's his. And it's his timing, and it's his plan, and it's his will, and it's his word, and it belongs to him. You know, coming into Hoving Home, my leader was really big on this stewardship versus ownership. And I had not been brought up in that mentality, unfortunately. And constantly she was saying, we don't own it, it's the Lord's. We don't own it, it's the Lord's. We are just stewarding it. It belongs to him. So the responsibilities on him when I would get stressed out about finances or things like that doesn't matter. It's his. Why are we worried about it? He owns cattle on a thousand hills. Like, he can do this. It's his. And so when we have this passion in our heart, this dream that we want to see be fulfilled, we first, the very first step is understanding we have to pursue the right thing. It's okay to have a passion. It's okay to have a dream. It's good to have those things. But we have to know first it belongs to the Lord and we're just stewarding it. Lioness and the lamb is a fruit of my blood, sweat, and tears. But above all of that is the fruit of God. He did it. He opened the doors. He made the plan. He provided. He created me. He created the passion within me. And he made the way. 
The second is the doubtful pursuit, which is really what I shared on this morning, which was Saul. You know, he, it amazed me. I hadn't really given a whole lot of thought to like how much confirmation he required to do what God told him to do. And like God telling you to do something back then was a little different than God telling you to do something today. Because unfortunately, as a culture, we don't have the reverence that they did for the Lord back then, even though they were crazy too sometimes. But they, there was culturally a deeper reverence as, as I'm a Hebrew or I'm Israelite that like God, you know, we don't carry that same reverence today, but even back then, he's requiring so much. Like in 1 Samuel 10.2, we'll just go there for one second. In 1 Samuel 10.2, it says, then Samuel, well, he gets anointed. Samuel took the flask and anointed him, but it says, when you depart from me today, you're going to meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin, and they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found, and then you should go on from there further and come to an oak of Tabor, and three men going up to Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, and another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets, coming down from the high place with a harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them prophesying, and the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you. Three examples of what's going to happen from Samuel. You're, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. And I'm embarrassed to say, honestly, that when everything transpired with me coming out of Teen Challenge and into the unknown, really, I say lioness and the lamb, but that was nothing back then, I needed the same thing. I had somebody come and say, I'll pay your salary. I had my roommate say, don't worry about me. Do whatever God wants you to do. I had somebody come. I was out to eat with them. They come out of a bathroom. They're like, the Lord told me you're leaving Teen Challenge when I was in the bathroom. Like, where are you going? I'm like, what? Like, confirmation after confirmation after confirmation. But our hearts are so tethered to ourselves and what we envision the dreams of our lives to be that sometimes we, we go forward but with doubt. You know, like, is this really the Lord? Is this really what he's asking me to do? Does he want me to leave my family? Does he want me to leave this legacy behind of what my mother started? Does he want me to leave these women who I have relationship with and I've discipled who have already been through so much transition? You just have all this out. But everything I just said is man's wisdom. And it's just not how God sees it. And God knows us because he created us. And he says, I know that this crazy girl is going to go through all these thoughts in her head. So let me just continue to give you truth. Let me continue to confirm in your heart that what I said I'm going to do, I'm going to do it. And this is how I'm going to do it. And so this is the way walk in it over and over again. And he did that for Saul. He knew Saul was just like the rest of us. Rachel's tomb, the tree of Tabor, the Philistine outpost. It's not like, you know, I was talking earlier about how you get these confirmations that are like pie in the sky. You've been saying for 188 years you want to open a women and children's home and someone comes up and is like, you're going to open a women and children's home. That's, that's the confirmation. That's not really a confirmation. But like somebody comes up and says, the Lord told me in the bathroom that you are resigning the program that you have not told anybody about that that's your plan. Or someone comes up to you and says, the Lord told me that you are doubtful about this, this possibility because of salary and I got your salary. Whatever that is. Those are so specific. Two loaves of bread or three loaves of bread. This kind of instrument, like so specific. And even after all of that, it's after that that Saul is hiding in the baggage, still doubtful, still not sure. And sometimes that's because we're not sure of ourselves, but that circles back to point number one, it's not about us. 
It's never been about us. It's about his glory. It's about what we do when we lay our lives down and we trust his plan that's good and has fruit for the kingdom. And Saul couldn't see behind, beyond his insecurities. He was an insecure individual through and through, like many of us are. And it was very hard for him. And that seed of doubt began to bleed into his leadership and was a problem for a long time. He doubted his authority when he was given instructions by the Lord, even onward, beyond that experience of being called out. And so it's important that you have faith, that if God said he's going to do it, I shared this morning that my boss always says, if it's a God-sized dream, it's a dream that wouldn't happen without God. You could never do it. And see, Saul never saw himself as being able to be king, even though the world standard said that he was. I was saying how it opens up with that he was so handsome. And look at when Samuel introduces him, look at this great mighty warrior that's going to be your king, hiding in the baggage. And then David, half of his age, you know, no experience in this whatsoever, just, you know, killing some bears and hanging out in some fields with sheep, He's like, no reluctance. There's no fight. You don't read of chapters of an argument as Saul literally fought with Samuel. Like, are you sure? I know you hear from the Lord, but are you sure? Like, it's supposed to be me? And then David, it's just like, that's it. And then, and then he was anointed. <laughs> Go get him. If anything, there was more reluctance from his family. Imagine that. You walk in, if you didn't already doubt yourself, you know your family doubted you. They tried everyone before you. You were the last of the Mohegans. And it didn't matter to him. He did it, right? And so I, I shared this morning, I'm sure there was some parts in him that felt fear. But I've also heard many times, as I'm going to go into the brave pursuit, which was David pursuing a dream bravely, that the absence, fear is not... Our bravery is not the absence of fear. It's doing something afraid. It's doing something even when you don't know what the outcome's going to be and you're not sure, but you trust a God who is known and is sure. And if he said it, he'll do it. And that reminds me a lot of my spiritual grandfather, which was David Wilkerson. To be a Caucasian preacher boy from Pennsylvania with no experience to go to the gangs of New York City because God said, shut off your TV and go and reach those boys for me. And that's what he did. With a family, with no knowledge, with no assurance of what would happen, with the danger awaiting him, he did it. And he said to Nikki Cruz, you could cut me up, but all 1,000 pieces will cry out, I love you. And see, the thing is, is that the love of God will take you much further than the fear of man ever will. And the reality is that God's love is what creates a boldness in us to recklessly abandon intimidation or fear or the lies of the enemy and lean into the truth. And so I hope this morning you're encouraged to pursue God's dream that he's given you, the hope of a different future, of something better, 
every day we fight alongside women that don't love themselves and don't see a future for themselves, but we know that God does, and he called them, and he sees them as a mother, and he sees them as having a hopeful future that's going to be filled with good things. Not easy things, but good things. I often say to the ladies, whatever you face, it's not going to be sinful, but it'll always be with Jesus. And that's enough, because the world faces challenges whether they believe or not, but he's what makes the difference, right? Because of him, we can face tomorrow. And they can face tomorrow, and their children can face tomorrow, and there's a different trajectory. It is a major impact when you give to the seed of Teen Challenge, as my mother didn't have me in the program, but you can see the impact that her life being poured into and changed, and then raising children that both now love the Lord, and my brother has kids who love the Lord in a Christian school, and the impact that just goes on generationally, and that is the inspiration that gets me out of bed every day. It's not just these women, it's their kids, right? And their children, and their children, and their children, right? And, and that's the reality. The reality is it doesn't end. And if there's any investment we can make today in the nation we live in, in the fear-driven society, in the intimidation of the lies of the enemy, it's the kids and the unborn, right? The enemy's after our seed. And so I just pray today that you have hope over the seeds in your life. For me, my seed was not a physical child. It was a ministry that God had impregnated me with a long time ago. And it was growing and growing and growing. And by the time it came, I was ready for it to be here and so thankful. And that doesn't mean it was easy. And it doesn't mean I don't have hard days or even days where I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? Like, get me out of here. You know, but like at the end of the day, I know that I know you're going to watch a quick little video of Lioness and the Lamb as I close out right now. And sorry, I went a little bit long, but you're going to watch a quick video. And when you do, I just hope it gives you a glimpse into what God does through this ministry and that you can see the heart of the Father for these little ones that have never been defended but by anyone but him. And so I leave you with that today. God bless you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much for joining us for service today. To rewatch today's sermon, you can search for it on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcast. And again, to keep up with all that's going on here at the church, you can go on lolag.org or ne-cc.org. Thank you again and have a great day.